It has been said that every person has a book within them, the story of their life, the events that shaped them, the passions that moved them, the people that influenced them, the moments that impacted them, even the faith that transformed them. And through these stories flows joy and sorrows, disappointments and delights, countless twists and turns, all interwoven to create a never-before-told, one-of-a-kind story. The story of you. It's a story still being written by you and by God, day after day, line after line, storylines, write good things. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Hey, uh, last weekend there was 12 men who uh, went up north to Camp Barakel, and uh, we had a great weekend. I got a couple of those men are going to come up, Brian and Brian, and uh, we just like to uh, just share a little highlights. You, you'll see pictures in the background, uh, so you can check those out. They'll kind of flash through some of those uh, in that regards. But I've asked these two guys to come up that were part of the weekend. Just to uh, uh, just share a little bit, but the first thing I, I, I guess I'm going to ask you guys is, you know, what were some of the fun things you guys did up there? What what did you enjoy most? It could be a couple things. Well, as an introvert, it is very difficult for me to find myself in a lot of conversations, and so Brian and I rode up together, and it's about a two and a half three hour drive, and Brian and I essentially found a way to talk for that two and a half three hours <laughs> on the way up. On the way home, I rode home with Josiah, and Josiah and I found a way to talk for the two and a half, three hours, which was kind of amazing for me. And, and I had a lot of good conversation with other people while I was at the camp. Uh, Josiah, Brent Miles, and Tom, and I stayed up one night until about 1230 in the morning. Just, I heard it was one, man. Well, fine, okay. one o'clock. So, but we just sat and so, talked. And, and so for me, uh, as an introvert, being in conversation like that was, was a lot of fun. All right, awesome. Yeah, you know, we had 12 guys up there, and it was seven cars. I don't know. What's wrong with that picture? Uh, but anyways, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as, as Brian, but um, I rode up, like Brian said, with Brian on the way up, but I rode back with Pastor Mark, and Pastor Mark thought I was going the wrong way, even though the <laughs> GPS was telling us the right way. He was. That, was, yeah. that was the fun part of it. <laughs> but um, it was just good to interact with, uh, you know, the brotherhood of, of the guys and just hanging out and get to know and, uh, quite a bit of people and, and Tom, you know, from the band, you know, getting to know him a little bit as well and, 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 and Brian riding up. Um, it, it was a good time. So um, we, had, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, what's one? Oh, you got one more thing. I got yeah. one more thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you have up there, they have uh, uh, target ranges where you can shoot archery and you can shoot 22s. <laughs> and, you know, we went in, uh, it was, uh, me and then Brent Miles and I think maybe Josiah and and Mark and we went to the gun range and we're shooting and and Pastor Mark's like I can't hit the target I don't know what's going on yeah finally he gets through nine of his ten shots and on the tenth shot he's like oh there's a scope on the gun <laughs> and once he looked through the scope he actually hit the target so he, he got a little bit of harassment about that over right the weekend. you gotta love the bacon station though too right the bacon station. Oh, the bacon station. Oh, oh the yeah. bacon station there. Yeah, 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 there it is. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and Mark, poor Mark, you lost your phone too. 
I lost my phone too, but I did find it. Yes, yes. and uh, I was like, no! <laughs> so, it was, came out, slipped out of my pocket and went on that slide. And lots of good things to do during the weekend. And I tell you, they pack it full, and, and, um, and that, the zip line was one of my favorite. I tell you, and just going down with the guys and screaming and yelling and, and, uh, and all that kind of thing. But hey, what's one takeaway that you're taking away from the weekend for you guys that maybe God spoke into your heart and life this weekend? Yeah, we spent the first three chapel sessions in 2 Timothy, and it was kind of funny because uh, on the way home from, we were staying on the west side of the camp, chapel was on the east side of the camp, and on Friday night, it was dark out, chapel's at 9 o'clock, we're walking back, and, and I'm like, oh, let, let's just go on the road because it's a familiar path, and, and, and Mark's like, no, we got to stay on the path. There's a, a walking path that goes from the east side over to the west side. Mark's like, you got to stay on the path. <laughs> well, the whole time we, we spent in Second Timothy was about how, you know, sinful the world is, how we're getting pulled by that sin to get pulled off of the path. And on my notes from Saturday morning's chapel, I wrote on my, on my uh, notes, stay on the path, exclamation point. And it kept going back to what Pastor Mark said on, the, on that um, Friday night walk back. We have to lean into Jesus. We have to stay on the path. And we have to recognize the temptation and the pull that's coming at us from outside of our, our faith walk. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's uh, a, l a little different. But to kind of agree with Brian is to stay on the right path. So for me, the whole zipline experience, um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm scared of heights, right? And but for me, it's it's being with my my brothers and to hear them already down there, still sitting in their slings, waiting for me to go. And for me, I, I have to face my fear and and you know obviously I have it on my arm and not to be afraid. And um, so I faced my fear and just to be with with you guys and to hear you guys, you know, God is with you. And for me, just to take that leap and finally jump off. And, and to face my fear. And I have really quick two um, verses that are, are a favorite of mine. One of them is Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And my other uh, verse uh, comes from Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. At that moment, I presented my quest to him to let me leap off of that zip line, and I faced my fear. We went up again, and then I was the first one to jump off. So, um, for yeah, me, we waited for the we waited for him to go the second time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was it was just to hear my brothers and to be with them and to help me face my fear of of, of the height situation. And and again, like Brian said, to stay on the right path. So, so Brian, what we got coming up in men's ministry next, man? So in men's ministry with the Band of Brothers is we have our men's uh, breakfast, which is November 19th, mm -hmm. um, and then we have a guest speaker, which is going to be Pastor Tim mm -hmm. Manzer, Mark's brother uh, from Traverse City. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be uh, coming down here and, and preaching the word to us, and um, we would like for, you know, the guys to come out, uh, the Band of Brothers, and, you know, our slogan is no brother left behind, so we want to make sure that you guys get involved and, and come out and have a good time and worship with us. And, uh, and we're going to make some good breakfast. Um, I think we got some venison from Bob that we're going to be cooking. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate Thank you. it. All right.
You know, one of the things I, uh, I love about a weekend like that, I, I enjoyed uh, the weekend. There were like 300 men up there, and, um, and it, that was encouraging in and of itself. The 300 men wanted to come, get away, disconnect from the world, and connect to God. And there's another 300 men up there this weekend. They're wrapping up this morning. And at this particular camp, and there's camps all over Michigan, and so they, it was just that do this and, and have different retreats for both men and women. And, and, and it, it's encouraging to my soul to see that reality that there's, there's men that, hey, want to get connected with God and want to disconnect from some of the things of, of, of this world. And today, that's what I really want to talk about with you. You and the world and the reality that of its influences in our life, you know, as part of this uh, storyline uh, series that we're in, you and your story, I want to look at this reality that we live in uh, this negative uh, world, this world with its negative influences and its impacts in our life. Uh, the things that constantly are trying to pull us away from our love for God. This is this reality we have for us as believers who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and have set our path on following Jesus. We are saying, hey, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I'm, I'm on this path. And there's, it's this reality that we still live in this world. We still live in this world that can negatively impact our lives, ultimately negatively impact our story. And so today I, I invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at just um, three verses today, starting in, in verse 15, where John warns the believers he's writing to to not love the world. And this is a challenge, I believe. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why I, I, love, uh, I love retreats and I, I'm, I'm, I, I love to see us get get away where we can focus on God, a retreat that truly, hey, we're going to focus on God and his word and let him speak in it because we have these constant influences that are going on in our world. We have these pressures. We have the weariness. Talk about the weariness, right? The weariness of the world that's constantly bombarding us with its thoughts, its ways, its, its influences. And so here John, he's writing to the church and uh, he, he's, he's encouraged them on in the faith. And he says in, in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, that would be the lust of the flesh and other translations, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, that would be that pride of life, or I like to call it the, the lust of self, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, it, it passes away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, it's important to understand, I think, as, as John is a writer, uh, he typically, in his writings, he'll draw a line in the sand, and he'll say, hey, here it is. Where there's no middle ground. And, and so here, again, he, in essence, he draws this, this line in the sand. In his writings, he draws this line in the sand saying, If you love the world, you do not love the Father. Line in the sand. 
Making a clear, defining statement. Because see, he's calling, he's calling these believers, he's calling us to this commitment. You got you got innocence in your, in your life. You got to come to a place where you draw a line of sand. Not that you don't struggle with it. Not that you, you, you have ups and downs in the journey of faith and that. But you got you to cement this commitment in your heart and life. And that's the challenge here. You must choose your love and then pursue that love, um, uh, that love, you, you, either lo- you either love the world or you love the Father. Not, no, but not both. You have to settle this in your heart and mind. Not that you don't struggle, not that you have ups and downs, but you, it's got to be a cemented commitment as you, as a, as you, as you grow in, in your relationship with God. You know, marriage is a great illustration of this. Um, uh, on your wedding day, you choose, by the saying of your vows, making a commitment, right? You choose to, your love, right? You choose your love, and then you begin this lifelong commitment of pursuing that love, right? That's what the call of marriage is to, and that's what God calls us to. Now, here's the truth. I've seen, uh, I've been discovering in my marriage, uh, the more I pursue Susan, Susan, i got to get the right name, the more I pursue Susan, or Sue, all right, with a God-like love, uh, the more I like it, all right? The more I see God's hand uh, uh, at work. The more she pursues me with a God-like love, the more our marriage is strengthened, the more we see God's hand in our marriage, the good days and, and the bad days. And it's the same with God. The more you pursue God out of love, the more impact it will have on your life. The more it will ha- change the story of your life. Uh, and, and ultimately, you will see God's hand taking you through the good days and the bad days. The more you'll see him bring about his blessing and his hand being on your life, even in those difficult things of life. And I believe the more you like it, <laughs> the more you pursue who God is. You know, this is an important decision in the Christian life and, and how your story will be lived out. You uh, you will live to know God, all right? You'll live to know God and his eternal love, or you'll have, to, you'll have this reality that you will live for this world and its passing pleasures. And John's saying here, you can't take a little bit of both. It's either or. You've got to make that commitment in your heart. Now, as we look at this particular passage here in 1 John, I, and we start to dig out the truth, I, I like to define this whole aspect, this phrase, do not love. Do not love is it's a, a, in the Greek form, and it's what they call uh, the present tense form, and which means that when, when John, he's writing this, he wants the reader to know that this is an ongoing action. It's not like you, you just make the decision, but every day you make this decision to follow after Christ. Every day you're making this commitment to love 
the Father. And so John writes that he wants the readers to know that, hey, this is an ongoing action. Or in, in some instances, it's an ongoing battle. Battle with the world, in a sense. You are to keep on not loving the world. Keep on with that. The word love is, is the Greek word agape here. And it's indicating that this is a commitment. This isn't about an emotional feeling, all right? This is a commitment of the heart. So the challenge here is that we have a commitment that even when, even when we may not ex- be experiencing what we would consider maybe an emotional uh, 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 feelings in our relationship with God, and yet I, I do believe that's part of it. God works emotionally in our hearts. But ultimately, though, he works through this committed relationship of, of love. And so the, the question comes, are we going to continue choosing not to love the world and continue to choose to love the Father? And daily, I know I'm practically in my life, that's a daily decision. i got to get up. i got to make the commitment. God, help me to love you. And i got to call on the Holy Spirit to lead me into that. Now, John gives three reasons. And so if you are a note taker, there are notes there in the bulletin. And, or you can also look at this on the YouVersion app. And it's already filled in there for you. In, in there. But he gives three reasons why followers of Christ do not love the world. Now, number one is because of what the world is. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Uh, now, it's important to understand the meaning of this word world. Uh, and, it, and it's important to understand it in its context because the Greek word for world is cosmos, or it really originally means order. It's implying that the universe is well ordered creation of God. And there's an order in the world and how He's designed it and means for it to function, and even in the way we were created as, as human beings. There's an order in this world. In the Bible, it will refer to, be referred to the, the physical world. And so like in John 1.10, back in the Gospels, it'll say this. He was in the world, and the, though the world was made through him, there you see that, okay, the physical aspect. He made the world, the cosmos. The world did not recognize him. There it's talking about people. And so you see, you've got to understand it within the context. But it also refers to this word world, refers to the people of the world as, as, uh, as a group of people. And so uh, in John 3.16, a verse we all know, right, very well, for God, do you want to say it with me? For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, places faith in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. And so we see there in that context that there's, there's a love for the world, but it's the people of the world. And so it's important to understand the context of how this word, word world is being used. And so from these contexts, we see that there's nothing wrong with loving the world, enjoying creation. Uh, Chris just talked about that, help get out this afternoon. I'm going to get out this afternoon, enjoy the creation, the cosmos of the, of the world that God has created all right, and then we also see that here in John 3.16, God loves the world, so we should also love the people of the world. The ones that especially need to know Jesus Christ. 
But here in John, in 1 John, John uses the word world to refer by context, to understand, to the evil in the world. It's that part of the world system that's under Satan's control. In fact, he refers to it later in chapter 5 in 1 John. And let me just read verse, uh, verse 19. He says, We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So now he's, he's saying, hey, he's using it in the context with the evil one and its implications that come with that. In fact, in John 15, back in the Gospel of John, verses 18 and 19, he says this, if the world hates you, all right, again, that, that aspect of the world and its ways and the influence of the enemy, the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, now again, here's the implications of the context here in John, if you belong, all right, to the world, it would love you as its own. Obviously, there's the negative influences of the world. We see that in the context. And as it is, you, he goes, he goes on to write, as it is, you do not belong to the world. Yeah, we belong to the group of people of the world, but we do, he says, hey, as believers, you do not belong to this aspect where Satan has been influencing the world's thinkings in that regard. But I have chosen you, he says, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And so this word world, in its context, is about Satan's system, which operates on the basis of ungodly thoughts, ungodly attitudes, ungodly motives, ungodly values, and goals. It's that which does not seek to promote God's glory or to submit to his, ultimately, to his sovereign authority, that we are under an authority. And that he is the creator of the world, and he is the savior of the world. And so, it is in this sense, all right, that we, that John here writes in 1 John, that we must not love the world. It's so important. Now, John adds here, in verse 15, what we are not to love. He says, do not love the world. Or, then he says, anything in the world. Now, in the context, we can see that he does not mean your house, right? Houses are inanimate objects, or your car. Well, maybe your car, when it breaks down. I don't know. Depends how, how old of a car you have and how often it breaks down. I don't know. But, uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh. But obviously, that's not what this is about. What's important to understand from the context is that this worldliness is that attitude that is motivated by wrong desires to satisfy sinful cravings that we were born into as a fallen people. For example, just to illustrate this, a poor man who may not have much in this life or possessions or things, all right, uh, may be very worldly because he desires those things as a key to his happiness. Does that make sense? And a wealthy man or woman may not be worldly as in he uses his possessions as a steward of God. And, so, and the reverse can be true. A, a poor man can be very worldly even though it's regardless of the possessions. Does that make sense? All right. 
So this is about heart. This is about attitude. This is about how I look at what I have and who I am. And so to be worldly is to think that think and act out of really selfishness, all right, greed, pride, and personal ambition. Those things that are counter what, to what Christ has called us to, that he calls us to live out. That he came and he died on a cross to free us from, so that we might walk in his righteousness, in his holiness, and in life. You know, it's, it's, it's that aspect that, that to have a selfish desire, just, you know, that roots up, or a fleshly desire that roots up, rather than to be thankful for the, the blessings of, of life and living to please God. And so he says, we do not love the world because, because of what the world is. And that's not what God has created us to and ultimately calls us to as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. Now there's a second reason uh, why followers of Christ do not love the world. It's because of what the world does to us. What it does to us. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the reason you shouldn't love the world is that you can't love the world and God at the same time. Love for the world pushes out love for God. And the verse is saying, when I make my life about pursuing a love for God, it pushes out the world. And so important to understand. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one, the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And money's not the issue, all right? It's where your heart is at. That's the issue. And so he calls us and says, be aware, all right, because of what the world does to us. It drives out God. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta understand that. And so the reason we do not love the world, it's because it's kind of a, kind of a again, it's it's a line in the sand, but it puts us in a, a group of God haters. Not that we don't hate God, but but our actions are demonstrating that. It's a pretty powerful statement there to grab a hold of. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Line in the sand. Now, in verse 16, he gives three traps of the world that will push out the love, uh, uh, love for God in your life. Let's look at verse 16. He says, For everyone in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, this cravings, or another way to say it is lust, That's a, in the, we use that lust word in negative contents. In the, in the original language, it's, it's, it's the desires here, but it's those lust or those cravings of the sinful nature, all right, refers to that, that strong desire or impulse. In the New Testament, more often than not, it's used in a negative, negative context. Now, when we, when we hear those words, like the word lust or, 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 or uh, cravings, 
sinful cravings, all right, we usually associate it uh, uh, and relate it to external behaviors. You know, the people we associate with maybe that might be influencing us, the, the places we go, which definitely is, you got to look at in your life, the activities we enjoy, we got to ask some of the questions of those things. Is this, you know, is this causing me to love the world more than to love God? And, and, I, and sometimes we gotta, we got we to gotta dig deep into that and ask, be honest with ourselves in those areas, all right? But worldliness here is also internal because it begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. And it's described here in three ways. So this is about, you know, because ultimately what's in your heart is going to work its way out into your behaviors. Does that make sense? All right. And so I got to ask, if I got a behavior on the outside that I, you know, not, not that we don't struggle. Paul talks about that, I believe, in Romans. He says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't want to do, you know, and all that, that aspect. But I got to, I gotta, you know, some of the questions I got to ask myself, I, if I got some things out here that are demonstrating that, that I have a love for the world and it's impacting my, my life, my story, I got I to gotta step back and I got I to ask myself, okay, what's going on internally here? In my heart, have I given a foothold to the enemy in, in, in my life? And he addresses three areas here, uh, when the, you know, and, uh, three ways that we, you know, three ways that the world will trap us. Ultimately, I believe it starts here in our heart. You know, when the ser- serpent tempted Eve, these were he tempted with her with these three areas. When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. These were the three areas of attack. In fact, I believe that these are the three primary areas that lead to every uh, bondage, sin, whatever. You can bring it back to one of these three areas where you will get trapped. And th- you can you come back and say, okay, I, I, I had a lust there, or I had a whatever there, or a pride there. And you can see that. And so the first one is this, the lust of the flesh. It says the cravings of sinful man. Other translations say the, the lust of the flesh. And this is a crazy craving for physical pleasures, um, ungodly physical pre, uh, pleasures. It's the preoccupation with gratifying the uh, physical desires. And this is any straw, you know, strong desire of our fallen nature, including sexual sins, um, but it also uh, includes other areas that would drive us to fulfill the, the physical self-seeking, you know, I just got to have that fulfilled in my life. You know, many, here's the thing, many natural physical desires, all right, are legitimate. They're legitimate. If they are kept under control and used in the way that God designed them to be used. All right? Desire for food, all right? That's a normal natural desire. But you can abuse that. Desire for companionship, but that's a normal natural desire. But you can abuse that and, and it becomes sinful. The desire for sex can be abused, all right? And, 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 and that, right? Security. They're all legitimate when we keep them within God's design and what He intends. 
they become sinful, all right, and they become a trap in our life when we seek to fulfill them in selfish, ungodly ways. This is the whole issue with sexuality um, in regards to premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, and fornication. When you engage in sex outside of marriage between a, you know, uh, uh, that is between a man and woman, this is to love the world. And it's so important to understand. This is to say, I do not love you, God. And so we got to pull it back and say, hold on a second. What's, what's going on in my heart, in my life? And that's, that's a, that can be a trap, the lust of the flesh. Secondly, he talks about the lust of the eyes. This is the craving for everything we see. Covening and bowing to the, really, it's, it's materialism. And I tell you, if there's a nation where you can become materialistic, it's our nation, right? The, you know, it's, it's the concept, oh, i got to have more, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. And not that possessions are wrong, but that's all consuming. And, and it's, it, it leads you to making decisions that are, are, are not wise and don't bring glory to God. And, and, and so it, it, this is that sinful desire of greed and covetousness uh, to want that which you don't have. Um, it, it's buying into that lie, you know, the bigger the better, the bigger the better, you know, and all that comes with that. Um, but here's the thing. Just look at the evidences of those who have those things that don't love God. It leads to destruction. Look at Holloway. It leads to destruction in marriages and, and, and lives. And so it's so important. But then also there's this third trap, and that is the, the pride of life. This is the pride of our achievements and our possessions, obsession with one's um, status, importance. This is narcissism 101. You know, years ago, I never knew what narcissism meant. <laughs> Someone had to find it. But now it's become so prevalent within our culture, and we all understand the, the, the implications of being a, a, a narcissist in, in, in that way. But that's ultimately what this is, is, is the pride, the pride of life. Uh, this is about not desiring to do, you know, to, to do your best with the gifts and abilities that God gives you, but rather I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because it's about me. It's about me, me being promoted in this world and those accomplishments. And so here's the thing. These three areas are what the world does. And John's saying, don't have anything to do with these attitudes and approaches to life. Step back. Instead, pursue life out of love for God and his word. It is a, it is a passion to become what God has created you to be and to bring glory to him through that. And let that be the driving thing that that drives your life. So those are the three traps that can lead us away from God because that's what the world does to us, what it does to us. There's a last reason why followers of Christ do not love the world, and that is because of where the world is going. Verse 17 says this, the world and its desires Pass away. If you know that a company is going to go bankrupt, are you going to invest in them? 
No, right? If you see that a ship, a boat, it's got water taking on water, are you going to get on that boat? No. No. You're going to say, no, I'll take the next one. <laughs> right? John Piper put it this way, nobody sets up a house in a sinking ship. No reasonable person would lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, would they? The world and its desires are passing away. See, to set your heart on it is only asking for heartache and misery. And so John's warning, don't, man, that's going to impact your life. That's going to impact your story. You will lose ultimately what God meant for you to experience and know in life. But here's the thing. If you look at the second half of verse 17, look back at that again, at verse 17. There's a positive reward. If you do the will of the Father, you will live forever. It says, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. See, the opposite of loving the world is not only loving the Father, but also doing the will of the Father. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Obey, right? Obey what I command. So loving the Father in verse 15 and doing the will of God in verse 17, in essence, are the same things. This is not, now I want to be very important to point out this. This is not about working for your salvation, all right? But rather it's working out what you already possess. It's working out this relationship with God and growing deeper into an understanding of the depth of his love that will change your life, change your story, change your family. Because, see, this is not about working out your salvation. Like, you know, that if we do the will of Father, we can somehow be saved. No, that comes through faith only in Jesus Christ. But here's the truth. When you decide not to love the world, but to pursue, uh, uh, to, pursue to, to love God as you live in the world, you will experience some of the blessings of eternal life now. This is the truth that will change your life, change your story. No matter what you have, you've had to go through in this, this world that is cursed and wicked, all right, you can see God's hand be on your life. You can see God redeem, restore, renew your life. You can see God do a work in your family. You can see God bring healing to your soul to the, your family soul. So in closing, let's just talk about this whole aspect of eternal life. And I share these thoughts. You know, a great site I, I love to go to is gotquestions.org. If you ever got a question on the Bible, those guys are solid. I highly recommend them. In fact, I went in, and this week I typed in, you know, eternal life. <laughs> and I loved what they said. i got to share it with you. And this is what they, they said in regards to eternal life. It, they go this. It is a mistake to view eternal life as simply an unending progression of years. 
A common New Testament word for eternal is aninos, which carries the idea of quality as well as quantity. In fact, eternal life is not really associated with years at all, as it's independent of time. See, eternal life exists outside of time. God exists outside of time. And that's where we're going to experience eternal life, outside of time. It's it's so powerful to, to think through that and understand that what God's called us to and what he gives us through faith in, in Jesus Christ. Right? In fact, eternal life, it's not associated with years at all. It's independent of time. Eternal life can function outside of and beyond time as well as within time. For this reason, he says, eternal life can be thought of as something that Christians experience now. Kind of hard to think about in this world that we're living in right now to begin to experience eternal life because it's not something that starts when we die. Rather, eternal life begins the moment a person exercises faith in Christ. It's our current possession. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son, what? Has eternal life. That has is present tense again. The focus of eternal life is not on our, just on our future, but on our current standing. And he wants you to experience it as you choose to do not love the world, but to love the Father. So here is the reality that impacts our lives, impacts our stories. When we choose the ways of the world, when we choose to fall prey to the traps of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we are choosing to set aside the blessings of eternal life we can experience now. We are trading the love of God for the pain and misery and brokenness and filth and evil and fill in the blank. We're trading that when we make that choice. So what do we do with this? I woke up this morning and I wrote some additional notes, so this is extra. You might want to write this down. I don't know. But first, number one, as I woke up and I was thinking about this sermon this morning, about 5.30 a.m., I just woke up and, okay, and I don't know, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, I think it was, but saying you need to say this. But number one, here's the thing, what we need to do. We need to actively say no to the world and yes to God. That is an active thing. The going back to that present tense, continually, every day I got to get up. I got to do that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This world is setting itself up constantly against the knowledge of God, which you are called to to follow after. And it says this in the second half there, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, it says, And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Every day I got to get up and I got to take throughout the day, and that I got to commit my day to the Lord, and I got to take every thought captive. Okay, God, I want to choose to love you and not the world. I want to choose to love you 
and not the world. I want to take captive this thought and make it obedient in Jesus Christ. I reject that thought, whatever it may be, that would turn me away from following after you. But then secondly, thing that thought that came to me this morning in, in this regard is that i got to step back from the traps. You go to Ephesians chapter 6, and, and, and you'll see in verses 10 through 12, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. And so every day I need to step back from the traps, and i got to put on the armor of God, and i got to recognize that, hey, there is a battle in this world for my thoughts. There is a battle in this world to influence me. There is a battle, and i got to recognize that because that impacts my life, that impacts my family, that impacts my story. But what do you do? What do you do when you fall and pray? Because there's the reality that none of us live perfect, myself included. What do you do when you become overcome by the ways of the world? What do you do when you've been caught in the traps of the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and self? What do you do? Well, simply this. You confess, you repent, and as the guy said earlier, you get back on the path. <laughs> right? You get back on the path. You experience the forgiveness of God as you confess, all right? And the purifying work as you move towards repentance and going the other way. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so confession is part of that. But there's a second aspect to that, though, and that is repentance. Because in Matthew 3.8, Matthew writes, he records, Produce fruit with, in keeping with repentance. See, confession of sin is the admission that I did it. And the agreement with God that my actions or my words were wrong. And so I confess that with my mouth. And I say, God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for the cleansing. But related to confession is repentance. And it changes. I tell you, when you grab a hold of this and you make it a regular practice in your heart and life, it changes your story. It changes your path. Because related to that, this aspect of repentance is where, you know, confession, it involves admitting what we did is wrong. Repentance involves a desire to go the other way, to change course. We not only acknowledge our sin, but we take steps to overcome it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, find newness of forgiveness. Confession, here's the thing, confession without repentance is only words. And so the team's going to come and close this in a song. And uh, I just want to leave you with this thought. In fact, this is the story prompt that I want, to, I want to leave you with. That we encourage you to go to your journal this week. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm growing in this journaling thing. <laughs> I'm not a journal. Anybody not a journaler? I'm not a journaler. I have to, you know, and so I'm, I got so many things I need to write down, especially after this weekend retreat. You know, I got to go back to my notes, and I need to write down some reflections and stuff. And so maybe you need to join me in figuring this journaling thing out and asking God to use it in your life. 
But this is what I would ask you to consider. How has the world and its influence been keeping you from loving God? What step can you take this week to not love the world, but to pursue God while you live in the world? Thank you.